turn to Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, well, our message today and our focus is on leadership. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to have part of the, the message is going to be an interview, which I'm going to conduct with Luke so he can make his way up to the, the stool. And then the other part will be Luke sharing his message after we've had another song. Um, so there's been a few people who have been asking questions about what does um, leadership at Follow look like. And now is the chance for you to hear a little bit about that. And then also there'll be a time for question and answer And hopefully Luke answers most of your questions, but we'll uh, have some time for you if you do have more. So, the first one is, what is the current leadership structure at Follow? That's a good question, Adam, because I wrote it. Um, Lots of people have been asking it, though, so that's why I wrote it. Um, But basically, so far, we have a, a structure where we have what we call a development team, we have a core team, we have a launch team, and we have members. And so let me explain to you what each of those uh, means. Uh, When a church is planted, the common practice is that the lead pastor chooses the core team. Um, But when it came to choosing a core team, I wasn't entirely comfortable with that. I didn't want to just surround myself with with good friends that would do everything I say, even though that would make things a lot easier. Uh, It's not good for the life of the church. And so working with Beaconsfield Baptist, which is our sending church, we decided to put together what we call a development team. Uh, That was made up of a couple of deacons from Beaconsfield, um, Lee Reeves and Ash Buchanan, as well as uh, Rob and Jackie Shrewers, who had committed to come in to follow, and also Daryl Kilker, who's the lead pastor of Pakenham Baptist, and then myself as the planting pastor. And our job was to um, help establish the church, to get organised to, to launch Follow Baptist Church. And so part of that role um, was to establish a core team. And so what we did is we, we prayed about that. Um, Kim and I had a conviction that we wouldn't approach anyone and ask them to come to follow with us, but rather that we'd pray that God would lay it on people's hearts if they were meant to be pioneering with us. And so by that particular stage, we had a group of people who had committed to coming and pioneer something uh, in the officer region. And so from that group of people, we started to pray over and consider some of those names. And as a core team, we came together, um, discussed those, added a couple, subtracted a couple. And when we came to consensus on those, we then prayed and went and approached those people. Um, By the grace of God, they all said yes and joined the team. And so that's how our core team was established. And so we have a development team, which will stay in place until there's formal leadership at Follow. We have a core team, and their job is the uh, day-to-day running of the church um, and the leadership of the church. And then we have um, what we call a launch team. And a launch team was basically most of the other people that had committed to help pioneering. 
And their job was to take on different aspects of ministry um, to help the church get up and going for at least the first 12 months. Uh, Most of the launch team will stay on beyond that. Um, Practically all of the launch team will stay on beyond that, but they committed for the first 12 months to help establish the church. Uh, The last bit of um, leadership we've got at the moment is members. We currently have 14 members. Um, Next week is our first membership meeting and we anticipate after that meeting we'll have a, a lot more members than that. So that's the current structure at Five. And uh, so what will the future structure, leader, uh, structure of leadership look like at Follow? Okay, I think the um, passage that Rihanna just read um, really starts to uh, show some of the pattern that ended up happening in the New Testament church. And the pattern that we see in the New Testament church is basically that the church had elders, it had deacons, uh, and it had the people. And so when you look at the passage that we just read, um, you read about... Um, the apostles who are really fulfilling an elder role. Their role is teaching, preaching, leadership, prayer, um, spiritual direction of the church um, and pastoral care. And then in the passage you also saw what are the first deacons that were appointed in the New Testament church. Uh, The seven men that were appointed uh, became deacons and their role in the passage was to help distribute the finances to the widows. And so it was very much a practical concern. Um, The word deacon means servant and so deacons take care of some of the practical parts of church life, which enables the the elders and the pastors and the teachers to do what they're called to do, and that is to preach and lead the church. And so uh, in our context, um, deacons would do some of the practical stuff. It might be admin, it might be overseeing kids' ministry, it might be um, things like overseeing membership, um, outreach, those sorts of things are typical roles that deacons would take on in the life of a church. And then, of course, in the passage you had the people, And the people's role was to um, pray, to input and to help appoint leadership. Uh, And in a church like Follow Baptist Church, we have what we call membership. I think perhaps a better word is partnership and we might move towards that in the future. But let's not confuse you now, even though I just did. Um, Membership. Um, Members, their role is to input, to pray. um, And we are a congregationally governed church. And so everybody who's a member of the church has the um, ability to pray, to seek God and to vote on key decisions that the church makes, uh, including the appointment of leadership. So that's kind of like the structure. We have elders, which is like the oversight team. We will have deacons, which will be like the management team. And then we'll have members who really keep the leaders accountable. And so they all play a really vital role in church. So that's what we're heading towards. Uh, God willing, we'd love to be there by mid-year next year at our AGM. Um, but we won't put a time limit on it because you need to have the right people before you fill those spots. We don't want to set a date and go, oh, gee, we're, we're coming up to the date, let's just grab anyone. We need God to make it clear who's meant to be in those roles. And so we hope and pray it'll be mid-year next year, but we're not sure yet. That's good. So you just touched on the structure and, and what that would include, which you spoke about elders and deacons. What is the qualifications that people would need to be an elder or a deacon at follow? Okay, so in, in the New Testament, it talks a lot about the, the qualifications of um, elders and deacons. Um, it's probably too much to talk about it in depth right now. Um, but if you've got your Bibles when you go home, uh, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1 and you'll find a really uh, comprehensive list of um, the requirements. But what you'll find in those passages is that it focuses more on character than it does on uh, competency. And so um, it will talk in there about being people of good character, Uh, Things like leading your household well, being self-controlled, being mature in faith, being slow to anger. Um, And so they're sort of the qualifications needed for those roles. The only real difference between a deacon and an elder 
is that an elder needs to have a really deep knowledge of the Word of God and to be able to teach the Word of God. And so that would be the only thing that separates what an elder does and what a deacon does. And so um, that would be basically the qualifications that would be needed. Sorry, I've got a really bad cramp. <laughs> well, I thought it must have smelled bad or something. I don't know where he'd gone. I thought it would look a bit strange, so I tried to do it subtly. but That wasn't really subtle, mate, to be honest. <laughs> um, so now is our question and answer time. And uh, Adam will run around with the microphone. I'll try to walk to, to get you the mic. <laughs> that might help me, actually. Um, yeah, so if you do have any questions, uh, and Luke will try to answer them as best as he can within the time we have. Does anyone have any questions that you would like to ask about the leadership here at Follow? Please just one at a time. <laughs> it's really important, we think as leadership, that we're transparent and we're honest about stuff. So if you've ever got questions, um, even if you're too scared to put your hand up in church, um, but if you've ever got questions, please don't ever feel like you can't come and approach me or one of the core team or um, one of the leadership team. Eventually when we have elders and deacons, um, they're available any time to answer any questions you have. And I've uh, been in church long enough to know that transparency is really, really important. And, and we want to do our very best to be transparent. And that's why we need members to keep us accountable in that. And so if you feel like we're not doing things the way we should, please come and see us at any time. And um, I'll pass you on to one of the core team members. <laughs> <laughs> Last chance if you do have any questions to ask Luke. Uh, in this public forum. Otherwise, feel free to approach him, obviously, after the service or contact him during the week via email or something like that. Yep. Um, yeah, maybe just use the microphone. Yep. What would be the process of appointing deacons and elders? Yep. Okay. So, um, usually the process is that... Um, People are nominated, particularly for a deacon role. So if you have someone in the congregation you think would make a really good deacon, um, nomination is really important. Uh, also, the core team um, obviously would discuss stuff as well. And so um, as a result of those two things, we would present um, uh, people to the congregation for your prayer and input, particularly for the members, and then they would need to formally be voted in at a membership meeting. Anyone else? Excellent, must explain it really well. Yeah. Luke will obviously touch on more during his message as well, so hopefully that may answer some questions that you do have. Well, with our members meeting next week, uh, it's a great time to talk about leadership, and it just so happens as we're working through the book of Acts that we're up to Acts chapter 6, and it talks about the appointment of leadership. Now, I understand that for some people, leadership is something that you love talking about. It's your favourite topic. You, you read books about leadership. You get excited about leadership. Today you'll be scribbling down notes about what leadership should be and you just feel really great about it. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you're aspiring to be a leader. And so you just love talking about leadership. But I also understand there's another group of people that may just tune out when they hear the word leadership. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a leader. So for the next three hours as Luke talks about it, I'm going to tune out. It's not going to be three hours. I just want to make sure you hadn't tuned out already. Um, but you, you tune out because you think, well, I'm not a leader because you don't have uh, the title of leader in some official capacity. Well, today, if that's you, if you find yourself in that category, I want to encourage you not to tune out because the truth is that every person in this room at some stage in life 
will be called upon to exercise leadership, whether that's in an official capacity or maybe it's in your family, perhaps in your household, maybe in a sporting club or a school. It may just be in a friendship circle as you lead by example and model Christ for those around you. It may be in a circumstance that comes up that requires someone to step into leadership and you find yourself leading in that circumstance. Or it may be in an official capacity, maybe in your workplace or perhaps in the church. You see, leadership is very important. And so I've titled the message today so that you don't tune out. I've titled the message, You, the Leader, because all of us have to lead at different times in life. And so I thought I'd start this message today with um, a little game of Who Am I? Some people love this game and some people are annoyingly good at it. And you say, we're going to play Who Am I? And you say, uh, I was born. And they go, I know Michael Jackson. And you think, how did you know that? All I said was, I was born. It could be anyone throughout history and they've already guessed it. And those people are really annoying. So please today, if you're one of those people, exercise some self-control. Do not yell it out and spoil it for everyone else. So you've been given the spoiler alert. We know what you're like. You're the type of person that at lunchtime today you'll be talking about the movie you saw last night at the cinemas and the amazing twist it had at the end and then you'll tell everyone about the twist and everyone around the table wants to see the movie and now they're not going to. So please exercise self-control as we go through this little exercise of who am I and hopefully this little exercise will demonstrate how incredibly powerful leadership can be. So who am I? I was an incredibly gifted leader. I was a very intelligent boy. It's not me. (laughs) And widely popular at school amongst fellow students. I didn't have it easy in my youth and even had a few years where I was homeless. But I had the strength to not only survive but thrive in those years. I had a deep love for my country and a real sense of patriotism and national interest. I was a vegetarian. I hated smoking and I hated drinking. I served as a soldier in war and I received my first Iron Cross for bravery in battle. I joined a political party and quickly rose up the ranks, becoming the party chairman. I know some of those people love the game. You're just itching, aren't you? You just want to yell it out. I was a brilliant public speaker. I had the ability to captivate and inspire people to action. I spent time in prison, but it only served to make me stronger and more determined. Eventually, I led my country and I was politically savvy. I was a successful military leader, winning many battles in war. My country was powerful under my rule. I had great vision for my country, a grand vision, and I inspired people to follow that vision. Now, if I stop there, you could probably yell out a few people that this could possibly be. And you're probably thinking, this guy must have been an incredible leader. I mean, so many great characteristics. This guy is probably someone that we still revere today. So if I stop there, you could probably guess on who this would be. But I'm not going to stop there. And you'll see as I go, it'll become more and more obvious who this person is and it will show you how powerful leadership can be. I am the man responsible for a war that claimed the life of more than 50 million people. I'm the man who convinced millions to attempt to wipe out the Jewish nation. I'm the man who set up gas chambers and concentration camps but never had the guts to visit a single one. I'm a man universally condemned as a criminal of war, a person who committed suicide, a person who oversaw the mass murder of millions of men, women and children. Who am I? Of course, I'm Adolf Hitler and I'm one of the most powerful demonstrations throughout history of how destructive leadership can be 
when it's in the wrong hands and done the wrong way. So the question for us today is this. As Christian men and women, what should leadership look like? As Christians, we have the benefit of having another man as our leader. His name is Jesus Christ. And his leadership was so different to what we see in Hitler. That goes without saying. And yet it's still so different to what we see in much of the world around us today, where leadership has become about sort of climbing the corporate ladder, about getting to the top no matter who you stomp upon to get there, where leadership has become about privilege and position and power and title, where leadership is about being served rather than serving others, where it's become so much about what I can get for me rather than how I can make a difference. And it's so easy to look at the leaders in our world and think, well, maybe that's what leadership is meant to be like. And we see it creep into the church over and over again as we look to these people as models for leadership. Now, don't get me wrong, there are many great leaders in the world around us and many people that we can look to as role models. But the truth is this, that we have a role model who is heads and shoulders above the rest, and it's Jesus. And so we look to him. Week one in this church, we said that our vision is Jesus. And so when it comes to leadership, he is the ultimate example that we need to look to. And what we see in Jesus is ultimately servant leadership. I see this little slide that I saw on Glenys' Facebook and I pinched it this morning. And I love it. It just says, well done. This is what God will say to us at the end of life when we stand before him. Well done, my good and faithful pastor. No. Bishop? No. Evangelist, apostle, preacher, missionary, teacher, singer, worship leader? No. He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus sets the ultimate example in servant leadership. If there was one man throughout history who deserved to be worshipped and praised, it was Jesus Christ. God in human form and yet he said that I have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I just love the, I just love the gospel. And I don't know if you've noticed but I get excited when I start to preach the good news of the gospel. I love the fact that Jesus is the ultimate leader and that in his life we see a man who laid his life down for mankind. A man who literally died on the cross and said it is finished. A man who carried my sin and carried your sin. A man who was perfect and yet died the death of a criminal because he took his, our sin upon himself. Incredible that all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our shortcoming, all of that stuff we carry, we don't have to carry it anymore because at the cross Jesus carried it for us. And so in a relationship with him, the sin of our lives is forgiven, it's removed, it's placed on Christ and we have been set free. We can come into relationship with our heavenly Father. It's incredibly good news. It's exciting news, isn't it? It's exciting news. It's the best news you can possibly hear. And it came about because of the most extraordinary leader that's ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ. He's incredible in every way. And he's the ultimate display of sacrifice. He's the ultimate display of generosity and grace, compassion and love. And he's the ultimate role model for us as leaders in official capacities or just in everyday life. Now, if we think we can lead like the rest of the world around us and make a scrap of difference for eternity, we're sadly mistaken. We need to look to Jesus because when we compare Jesus' leadership to so much of the leadership we see in the world, what we see in Christ is what I would call upside-down leadership, which turns the world right-side up. 
In Jesus, we see upside down leadership that eventually turns the world right side up. And it's that kind of leadership that we need to follow in our families, in our businesses, in our schools, and particularly in our churches. And I don't know about you, but we need help with this. I need the help of the Holy Spirit because if I'm left to my own devices, I'll tell you what I gravitate to. I gravitate to Luke Williams. I gravitate to self-centeredness. And so I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life every single day to be filled over and over again so that I would be rid of myself and that I would become uh, transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are people that are empowered by the Spirit of God. And as we look to Jesus, we are empowered to be more like him. And so we come to a passage today in the book of Acts that deals with the appointment of leadership in the early church. And what we see in this passage is start of what becomes a leadership structure that we've already spoken a little bit about uh, in the interview. It's a structure of leadership in the New Testament church. But what we also see in this chapter is the first real test of leadership for the leaders of the New Testament church. And it comes as a result of conflict. Now, if you hang around in church long enough, you're going to find yourself in some sort of conflict. And if you think you've come to follow and it's going to be the, the end of that conflict, I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm going to, you're going to face conflict at some stage in your life. And what I've seen often in churches is that when conflict arises, there's usually two responses and they're both poor ones. Number one, we just go, oh, well, I've had it. And you take off and you join another church. The second response is that we just avoid that person for the rest of our lives. And so they grab a cuppa and a vicky over there and you go over to this corner and as long as you can see them, you don't have to go near them, then you live happily. But let me tell you, both of those responses are not conducive to building the community that we spoke about in Acts chapter 2. And conflict can actually be a great gift from God that helps our relationships to grow deeper as we're honest and transparent with one another. Because there will always be conflict in a church. And the reason there's going to be conflict is because you're here. And because I'm here. And because we're different. Different backgrounds, different likes, different dislikes, different personalities, different nationalities. And you throw all that into the mix and then you add this big thing called sin. And when you put that there with all the agendas and different motivations, um, you know, there's going to be conflict. We've been saved by Christ. We're different to what we were, but we're not yet what we will be. And in the meantime, there's going to be mess and there's going to be conflict. And so it's so important that we deal with it in a godly way. And so we see in this passage a group of people, the church, being birthed. They've been given an impossible task to do. That's to share the gospel with all of creation. And yet the task has become possible because they've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We read this in Acts chapter 2, that you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But in order for this mission to be fulfilled successfully, it's going to also require extraordinary leadership. And here's the first test, conflict. And so in verses 1 and 2 of the passage that Rihanna read, we read what the conflict's all about. We find out pretty quickly that the conflict is not between the church and those outside the church. It's actually about two different parties within the people of God. 
And the passage tells us that it was between the Hebrewic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. Now, the Hebrews were Aramaic-speaking Jews, mostly natives of Palestine. And the Hellenistic Jews, or the Grecian Jews as they were also known, were the Jews that mainly spoke Greek. And so there was already a bit of tension in this group. But the passage tells us that the tension here arose around the care for the widows in each of the groups. Now, what happened in those days is that the wealthy people in the community had caught this idea that we are called to be radically generous people. And so the wealthy people within that community were giving so much of their estate and they would put it into a common pool of resource. And from that common pool of resource, those funds would be taken and they'd be distributed to the widows and they'd be distributed to the poor. And that's a great thing to do. One of the things I love as a church is to be able to bless people who are doing it tough. But the problem was this, that the Hebrews were the ones uh, that were responsible for the distribution. And the Hellenists felt that the Hebrews were favouring their own widows. And so a bigger portion of the pie was going to the Hebrews rather than to the Hellenists. And so within the church, this conflict arises. And the job of the leadership, which were the apostles in this situation, was to sort out this conflict. And I think from the passage today, there are some things they do as leaders that are a great example for us. And we can learn from them as we seek to lead in every sphere of life. And the first thing they did really well is that they didn't bury their head in the sand, but they acknowledged the issue and they dealt with it quickly. Acts chapter 6 verse 2 says, So the twelve summoned the disciples. It's like they brought them all together. Guys, there's an issue. Let's not pretend there isn't. There's tension. There's stuff going on. We're the people of God. We're meant to be gracious people and yet there's an issue here, so let's deal with it. They did it quickly. I think it's so important because... In my life, I've discovered that the longer you leave issues, the worse they seem to get. I mean, you never seem to leave an issue and it just gets better. It usually gets worse. And I remember a couple of times in my life where someone has done something mildly irritating. They might have said something or they might have done something. And really, it's just a mild irritation. But by the time I have put my professional dwelling into place for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, for the rest of the month, that tiny little issue is now this massive thing and I want to strangle someone. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, good grief, this is our pastor. (laughs) I'm being honest. And if you're honest today, you know you've been there as well. Where little things have become so much bigger than what they need to be. And so I love how the apostles stepped in immediately and they dealt with the issue. Now you think to yourself, surely that sort of thing wouldn't happen in a church. Surely. I mean, we are people who've been given extraordinary grace. We sung about it just before. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God has poured his grace into our lives in Christ. We have been forgiven. We've received this amazing grace and we are set free for all the things that we've done wrong. And so surely this culture wouldn't be there in churches. But the sad thing is this. And my experience has been that churches have been as bad, if not worse, than other organisations when it comes to holding a grudge, when it comes to unforgiveness, when it comes to gossip. And I want to say that's an absolute tragedy. What I've discovered is that we want grace. We want mercy. We want forgiveness. And so when we do the wrong thing, we're really quick to receive it from God. But we're not so quick with the distribution. 
And when people do something wrong to us, instead of extending grace, so often we don't want grace, we don't want forgiveness, we don't want love, we want justice. And we want judgment and we want it now. How could that person have done that thing? How could that person have done that to me? They've done the wrong thing. They don't deserve me to forgive them. Newsflash, you don't deserve it either. And neither do I. And yet God pours it into our life despite the fact that we keep doing the wrong thing. That's grace. And the Bible says what we have freely received. We are called upon by God to freely give. As we receive grace, forgiveness, we give grace and forgiveness. And as we find grace at the centre of a community, we start to realise the community that we long for. Far from perfect, but full of grace. You see, in Acts chapter 2, it was the beginning of the New Testament church. And they were very much laying a culture, setting a culture. And in some ways, we have many similarities as a church. We're six weeks old. There's a culture that's being laid, a foundation that is being set now as a church. And it's so easy to come and visit a church or to come to your own church and go, well, if the culture's this and if the culture's that, and if it ticks this box and it ticks that box, then maybe I'll stick around. But I want to challenge you today to think differently, to not have that consumeristic kind of mindset. I want to challenge you today to become a leader in developing a culture because culture is shaped by the people within it and you do not need a title to do that. If you want a church community that's more forgiving, then forgive. If you want a church community that's more serving, more servant-hearted, then start to serve. If you want a community that's more loving, then love people radically. If you want a greater um, sense of connection, then invite people into your home. Have them over during the week. Connect them with them. If you want to be more generous, then start being more generous. This morning, I want you to turn to the person next to you. And I want you to say these words. You contribute to culture. Come on, I can't hear you. You contribute to culture. Turn left, turn right. You contribute to culture. Excellent. Now, I want you to do the same thing, but this time I want you to turn both sides and say, I contribute to culture. Very good. We're recording this. This is a covenant so easy to look to other people to set a culture but we need to understand that we all play a part in the culture that's developing here at Follow Baptist Church and so the answer is to start leading the culture you want to be a part of. And it's clear in this passage that part of the culture the apostles wanted is that they would be a group of people that would deal with conflict in a godly way because they knew issues would arise. And so here's a bit of advice today if you're taking notes. If you have an issue with someone, go to them as soon as possible, armed not with anger, but armed with grace. Motivated not by a need to be right, to prove your point, but motivated by love. With the aim of not getting your own way, but the aim of reconciliation. Let me say that if you've got an issue with someone in a community, because it's inevitable, it will happen at some stage, go to the person as soon as possible, armed with grace, motivated by love, with the aim of reconciliation. And you'll find that you can lead in this area. And you'll also find that 99% of the issues can be short-circuited at the root and relationship can go deeper at the same time when we deal with issues immediately in a godly way. That's what they did. They summoned the disciples. 
The second thing they did is that they delegated leadership according to different gifts. Let's have a look at verse 2. It says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, I grew up in churches where it seemed like the pastor did absolutely everything. And so they would be there at the crack of dawn, they'd be setting up, they'd be setting up chairs, they'd be getting ready, there'd be sweat pouring off them, but they'd be ready in time to run pre-service prayer and then they would go and welcome people at the door and then the service would start and they'd do the official welcome and then they would start to lead the music, they'd be singing, they'd be playing guitar, they'd be playing drums at the same time (laughs) and once they finished that, they'd do the official welcome to church and then they'd do the announcements, then they would preach a, a great sermon, they would do the pastoral prayer, they would do an altar call, and then at the end of the service, um, they would start to pack up again, they would be at the door to greet people while serving morning tea, then they would clean up the morning tea, and then they would pack up, and then they'd press the repeat button, and they'd do the same thing next week. And I've got to confess, there's been times in my life where I've tried that kind of leadership. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not good for the mental health of your pastor. And it's certainly not good for the church. You know, last week I had a call, or the week before I had a call from Ronald, who's on the sound desk today. He's a member of our core team. And he rang and he said, Luke, John Searle and I have been talking and uh, we don't want you to come to set up anymore. And when you want to be needed, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. Oh, they don't want me. <laughs> and I thought, no, oh, it's pack-up's not so bad. And he said, we don't want you to come because we want you to be able to do other things. He said, the team's got it now. They know what they're doing and we don't need you to come. So for the first five weeks, I was coming and setting up chairs, and I don't mind doing that. It's great being with a team, and I love to serve. And I'd do that from 8 to about 9.30 when we were finished, and then I would bolt home, get changed, have a shower, which is a good thing for you, because it's starting to smell pretty bad, and then I would come back um, just in time for the service. Uh, the problem is this, that I love to go through my sermon in the morning. And so prior to pack set up, I'd be getting up an hour earlier, going through my sermon, then coming for setup, and then I'd bolt home and I'd miss pre-service prayer and I'd miss the opportunity to encourage our musicians. And so as a result of the change and of the phone call from Ronald, it's been great because I now find myself in the spaces where I am more equipped to be. I can let the bigger and stronger guys and the more technically minded guys do the setup, and most of them love doing that, so it fuels them and they do it really well. But I can find myself in pre-service prayer and encouraging the musicians and being in those places that are a better suit for my giftings. You see, when leaders insist on doing everything themselves, they fail to care for themselves and they rob people of the opportunity to grow in ministry. In the book of Exodus, we read about Moses, who is one of the best leaders we see in the Old Testament. And he's just come from a great triumph. God had used him to lead the people through the Red Sea uh, the Exodus, the Egyptian army had been wiped out and they are cruising towards the promised land. This is a great time in their lives. The journey to the promised land should have taken about 40 days, ended up taking 40 years as these people disobeyed God and went round in circles. And so Moses is out in the middle of nowhere with a group of people estimated to be around about 2.5 million people. And you can imagine these people are frustrated They're hot, they're tired, they're angry, they don't like the food God's providing, they're grumbling, they're fighting. And so Moses, in his leadership wisdom, 
decides that he'll set himself up as the judge over every single conflict. And so you can imagine with 2.5 million people, there is a lot of conflict going on. And so from the crack of dawn to the going down of the sun, he sits there and he judges their cases. So two people come, they're having an argument, he hears the argument, he makes a judgment. And then he says, next, and the next person comes. It's kind of like Judge Judy on steroids, you know, next. <laughs> and she doesn't muck around either. You're in, you're out. I don't care what you've got to say. I don't care, I've made up my mind. And Moses was doing that day after day. And one day his father-in-law, a guy called Jethro, comes and visits. And, and he looks at what's going on and he makes a, a very spiritual kind of summation of the situation. And his spiritual summation is this. This is completely nuts. Crazy what you're doing. This is ludicrous that you would be setting yourself up to do all of this work. In fact, his words were a little bit more spiritual than the ones I just used. He said this. He said, Moses, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. For the task is too heavy for you and you cannot do it alone. And so he says, this is my counsel. He said, go and grab some faithful men and teach them what needs to be done and then understand what their capacity is. Put some over thousands, put some over hundreds, put some over fifties, put some over tens and empower them and release them to make judgments on their own. If there's any really complicated ones, then you can bring them back to you, but otherwise they can judge for themselves and start to grow in leadership. And he finishes by saying this, If you do this thing and God so commands you to, then you will be able to endure and all of these people also will go to their place in peace. Good leaders delegate. If you're a parent here today, don't do everything for your children. Give them an opportunity to grow, to try things, to learn. Give them permission to fail. Give them feedback, encouragement, build them up so they can learn to start leading and growing themselves. If you're a boss here, the same thing. If you're in a sporting club, the same thing. If you're in a school, the same thing. Because good leaders delegate in order to empower people around them. Further and further I go into ministry, the more and more I realise that it's not my role to do everything. But rather my role is to preach and teach the Word of God and to equip you guys for the work of ministry primarily ministry that happens outside the four walls of the church. Ephesians chapter 4 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. A few weeks ago I said that we want to be a church that impacts this community. But I said also that the only way we'll do that effectively is that if you are equipped to be people on mission. And so my job is to help you grow in your giftings. Every one of you here is important because you bring something unique. Different giftings and different personalities, different passions, different skills. And my job is to help you flourish in those things by providing opportunities and by encouraging you through the Word of God to step into those things. And as you do that, the body of Christ actually functions because everyone does their role. We don't have a limp body. We have a body that moves because everyone is fulfilling their role. And so can I encourage you to think and pray and seek God about what are the gifts that He's given you? 
And as you start to find those things, start stepping into those things because as you do, you provide something unique that God will use to build the church and to impact this community for his glory. Good leaders delegate. The third thing they did which was really good is that they empowered the people in the process. Verse 2 says, The twelve gathered all the disciples together, said it would be not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And then verse 3 says, Brothers and sisters, the people, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Verse 5, This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose seven men. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timoan, not the one out of Lion King, another one, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles. You see, the people were empowered in finding the solution to the problem and they had input into the decisions and selection of leadership. One of the things I love about membership in a Baptist kind of church is that it's a congregationally governed church. And within that um, system, you have levels of accountability. You have levels of input. You have the collective discernment and prayer and wisdom of a larger group of people. I've been in church settings before where the leadership structure is a bit like a pyramid. And you have this pyramid and at the top you have a kingpin and that person has very little accountability, very little collective wisdom, sometimes very little prayer and they just make decisions. And when you've got a godly man at the top making godly decisions, that can work well. Things seem to move quicker, there's less red tape. But if you get someone at the top who is not a godly person or is just making dumb decisions, I have noticed that people can be hurt incredibly badly. And it's tragic to see that people in those sorts of churches often leave shattered, more broken than when they walked into the church. I just Even saying that sentence breaks my heart that people would come into a church where they should find healing and restoration and they leave more broken than when they came. That's what happens when we don't have accountability in leadership. My vision and my hope and my prayer is that people will come to this church, the broken will be found to be whole, the lost will be found, the lonely will be loved. And one of the things I love about our structure is that there's levels of accountability. And so if I have a dumb idea, by the grace of God, it probably won't get through the elders. If it gets through the elders, it probably won't get through the deacons. If it gets through the deacons, it probably won't get through the congregation. If it does, you only have yourselves to blame. And so having members actually helps us to lead effectively. As a church leadership, we need to be transparent. We need to be accountable. We need to be wise. We need to be gracious because we are representing Jesus Christ. And so members are so important because they keep us accountable through prayer, through input, through decisions. And the end result is we make decisions that are wise as we discern the will of God together. And we make decisions that will grow the people and advance the church. As I said before, our, next, our first members meeting ever here is next Sunday afternoon. And I want to encourage you, if you believe this is going to be your church home, to really pray and consider membership. Um, it's not, as I said before, membership is not the best word. I think partnership is better. You know, if you're a member of a footy club, you pay a few dollars but you never go to the game. 
But if you're in partnership with someone in business, you've got to pull your weight and you all contribute and you all make a difference. And so I think partnership's a really good thing. But I would ask you to pray and consider membership because it's not about joining a club. It's about helping to advance the kingdom of God by keeping leaders accountable and praying together to make sure that we make decisions. And so I love the fact in this passage that they empowered the people. And so today, if you're thinking about membership, please grab a membership pack. Today's the cutoff before next weekend. Fill out the form and someone will catch up with you this week. The fourth and fifth things are both very quick. The fourth thing I love about what they did is that they set the expectations of what they were looking for in leaders. Verse 3 says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who have a degree, who have a PhD, who run a successful business and choose them. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, choose from among you those who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. You see, the qualifications for leadership in the church and the world are often very different. But sometimes I see in churches it seems to be the same qualifications. If you're well, uh, you've done well in business, you've got lots of money, uh, you've got a PhD, well then we'll have you as a leader. And I'm not saying those things disqualify people because they can be great things as well. But they're not the qualifications we're looking for. The qualifications for church leadership are simply those that are full of the Spirit of God. We are not looking for superstar leaders, but people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. People flourish under that kind of leadership. Absolutely flourish. We're not looking for people who do things in their own strength, in their own competency, with their own charisma. You know, that's one of the biggest mistakes I made early in ministry is I look for people that are charismatic. And sometimes that can be a wonderful gift. But if they don't have character, it can be a very destructive gift. Character, people who are filled with the Spirit, people who are reliant on God, who understand the gravity of leading in their families, in their businesses, in their church, that they would fall on their knees regularly and say, Lord, would you fill me with your Spirit? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? Would you empower me for ministry and for mission? They're the kind of people that we're looking for to lead. The fifth and final thing is that the apostles, the elders, they commissioned them. Verse 6 said, The people presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. I just love the laying on of hands and I love prayer because it's a sign that the leadership of the church is actually endorsing these people as leaders that they're being set apart, that there's an acknowledgement of the calling on their life, the gifting on their life, and they're being set apart and released to lead in the areas that God is calling them to lead. I just love the end result in verse 7 when we do these things. It says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, good leadership releases the power of the gospel. And it equips people for ministry and for mission. As we look to Jesus as our model of upside down leadership, I believe that we will be a church that God uses to turn this region and the world around us right side up. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it encourages us. And we thank you for the gift of leadership. Lord, I Thank you that each and every one of us at some stage in life will be called to lead. And so as we read the word of God, I pray that we would look at wise leadership and that we would follow the models that have been given to us of the people that have gone before us. But above all, Lord, I pray that we would be role modelled by you, that we would look to you 
and we would be people who would be willing to lay our lives down for others with extraordinary leadership of generosity, grace, compassion and love for the benefit of people and for the extension of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.